I'm going to preach on demon brew, but it's not alcohol and I'm not drunk, so I just didn't get up those steps very well. It is Lord's Supper Sunday, and uh, I want to uh, bring to our mind a text that is not normally preached on. Um, In fact, I heard my father do it once years and years ago, and I've never heard anybody else do it. I preached on it once before. But I think it, it has a very important meaning for us today in our culture and world. And uh, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, I think it would be wise for us. It's certainly beneficial for us to understand what Paul is writing about when he mentions this cup of the demon or demon brew. And stop and prepare our hearts and our minds as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper today and um, continue in our walk in faith with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So in order to do that, I have to read a couple of passages of Scripture. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, there are two books here called the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd. There apparently were many problems in the Corinthian church. It took Paul two letters to even begin to address some of them. And there are several things there. I think that what we're talking about today, um, it's not so easy to put sound bites on it. It just needs to be logical and carefully explained. And we need to ponder what that means for our individual lives as believers with Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our King. Uh, But you might say that we live in a world where uh, we have a culture, we have ideas that are floating around there how to live, what to do, what's important in the culture. And a great deal of times we have the opportunity to adopt or appropriate that culture. I mean, ads on the TV and the billboards say, do this, do that. And they're telling us to think about how we should live by adapting the principles and the ideas that are behind that idea of their culture, what they're saying is their culture. Uh, Christians have a culture too. It comes from the word of God. But the problem is, is that we probably run too quickly to access and to take upon our hearts the latest fads, theological as well as clothing and cars and the way we live. We're pretty quick to do that. And we don't stop and evaluate that or discern what that's doing. Paul here to the church at Corinth is trying to get them to think in terms of cultural discernment. Everything is okay in the Lord, perhaps, but not everything builds up or builds ourselves up or others up. And the world out there is going crazy. And sometimes we don't stop and evaluate and discern whether that action, that participation in that cultural activity, meaning the thought processes, worldview, understanding about what's right and how we do things, sometimes we don't stop and ask the question, is that godly? Is that biblical? Does that come from God? Can that be used to glorify God? Or without knowing it, imperceptibly, we're choosing the dark side. And we're participating in things that the dark side loves. Because I think Satan wants us not to think 
He just wants us to think that what we do for our faith is just a physical ritual. We go in and say so many things, Hail Marys or whatever, and we're good to go. Rather than understand that our faith is not how many rituals we do, but the meaning of those so-called rituals, how they dig deeper into our soul spiritually, and how we understand we can be faithful to God who has been faithful to us. And so Paul is getting ready to tell uh, the church at Corinth how to observe the Lord's Supper. He does this in chapter 11. But we don't often talk about chapter 10 and what's going on there. Because apparently out in Corinth, there are all kinds of temples. And all kinds of temples are having these big mega feasts. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to various churches and eat shrimp and oysters and fish fries. And my dad would say, now, if it supports the fire department, fine. But if a church is doing this to support themselves, we have to stop and think about it. Because what are, what are we supporting? And uh, we didn't go to the Methodist church for their fish fry, but, you know, some other things like that. So apparently all these temples in Corinth were having big barbecue sessions, you know. And they were getting the meat from having it being sacrificed on the altar to their gods. And they'd open up the temple doors and everybody would come in and chow down. And they would be supporting the temple and eating meat that was sacrificed to those gods. And Paul is saying, now wait a minute, we have to stop and think a little bit. Now, if you go to a family's home and they serve you meat and they said, well, I got it down at the fish market or I got it down at the market and it was sacrificed to idols, but then they sold it and I bought it and I'm a Christian and it's okay to eat it. Well, Paul's saying that's okay because it's, it, you're not supporting them. You're not agreeing with them. You're not appropriating the background, the worldview and the understanding behind it. But if you're able to say, it's just me, and there are no real idols, then okay, but what if you're out and you want to go to this thing, and it's a big hoo-farah, you know, all this ado, and all of it behind it is eating the meat sacrificed to that God. Then you need to stop and think about it. And that's what Paul tells the church here. Let's take a look actually um, uh, in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And we don't normally read this before we do the second part. But this is what he said. Now in giving this instruction, he's giving them the instruction about how to do the Lord's Supper. I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that you, those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. You get together not really to exalt and praise and glorify the Lord and understand what the Lord's Supper is all about. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. It's a free-for-all. 
So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. See, they're just having a free-for-all. Pretty much exactly, probably like those temples, sacrificing meat to idols and sitting down and then getting up to party, right? As Travis Kelsey said, you have to fight for the right, for your right to party. Of course, that comes from a song. But I'm not sure that we have a right to party exactly. But anyway, we'll get that in a minute. Let's go to chapter 10. We're eventually going to get to the text here. Now, I do want you to be, un I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what Paul is doing here, he's bringing up the Israelites and what they did and what they did wrong about serving idols. And he's trying to get the people of Corinth to understand that this impacts what they do. They all ate the same spiritual food, this is verse 3, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with the most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Jesus is the rock, Paul is going to say otherwise in other places. And then he proceeds to draw on this Hebrew history to show them what they did wrong. Now look at this. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. And here's what I quoted, sort of. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Right? It wasn't something that brought them closer to the Lord. It was something that took them away from God. Let us not commit sexual immorality. This has to do with the golden calf incident. As some of them did, and in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyers. Now, here's where we start with our text. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except that, except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, and he's here deliberately talking about the Lord's Supper, by the way, if you're not getting this. The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What I'm saying then, the food sacrificed to idols, 
That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God or gods. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That's what I call demon brew. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And may God bless the reading of his word. Number one, we find out that what Paul is writing here in these examples is written for our instruction. In other words, what Israel did in going after all the other idols was to destroy her relationship with God, to make God jealous, and to bring down upon herself the punishment and the wrath of God. And he's trying to tell the people at Corinth Look, when you get ready to worship, don't do these same things because all you're going to do is make God jealous. And you need to know we're not stronger than God. Verse 11 through 13 gives us the clue to this idea. These things happened to them as examples and they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages has come. That's Christ. He's come. And so we have these as examples. So whoever thinks he can stand, you know, pride, oh, I can take it, I can do it. I am me, myself, and I, I'm more important than God, more important than anything else. I can do whatever I want to do. I don't care what God should want me to do. I can do it myself. I can be the center of my life. I can be everything that I want to be and ignore God and ignore Christ. I can even claim I'm a Christian, but it still doesn't matter. I don't need to follow what God wants me to do. I just do what I want to. Well, he said, whoever thinks he can stand must be careful not to fall. Pride cometh before a fall. And what we're gonna do is get out there and tell God what to do. And he wants to tell us what to do. I got expelled from school one day in the third grade because I told the teacher what to do. And I know what the teacher did. She went and told the principal and then I got expelled. So, you know, I can't tell God what to do. I can't presume that I know exactly what my life is supposed to be like or that I can withstand all these uh, temptations and it doesn't bother me and nobody's gonna think less of me. I've been in situations where, and you probably have too, where you've done some things you didn't mean anything by it or didn't even attempt to do that, but yet other people have taken it the wrong way as if they're out to get you and they have slandered your name and decided that you are wrong and you're a bad person and you're going, what, I didn't do anything. But I did something that did cause them concern. So here we are in this verse suggesting that we can't have pride because we'll fall. We can't have pride because we'll fall. Then Paul says, no temptation has come to you except what is common to human. 
to humans. But God is faithful. We all face temptations. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. This word able is going to be used later on. And it's the word that we get dynamite from. It has to do with the power, the ability, the explosive power of God we can withstand. God won't put us into temptation, places where he isn't able to help us and where he will give us what to do. He says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. We don't have to be beaten up by temptation or succumb to temptation. It's not greater than God. But if we go to the Lord, he's going to make us able to do it with a way out. So you don't have to be tempted to go do things that are not appropriate or not good for your faith. So next in verse 14, he tells us that we should flee. Actually, it's fire, but it should be flee. <laughs> flee from idolatry. I made that mistake. Flee from idolatry. Um, this is what this verse says in verse 14. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And he wants them to understand that they know what idolatry is and they're sensible and they need to judge for themselves. I'm speaking as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I'm saying. Maybe he's thinking about the idea that you can't serve two masters, that you can't say one thing out of one side of the mouth and turn around and say one thing out of the other side of the mouth. You're sensible. And you are believers, he's admitting that. And so you need to judge for yourself, weigh it. Is Paul being correct here? Can we serve two masters? Can we pretend that we love one and do what the other says? So then he tells us in uh, the third point, uh, talks about the cup and the blood. Number three, in verses 16 and following, he talks about the cup and the blood. And he tells us something really interesting here about what we're about to do in the Lord's Supper. This is why we're doing this. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? So the cup of blessing is the third cup in the Seder um, it, that they drink in the Jewish Seder or ritual of Passover and on the Sabbath day. And it's the cup that is blessed. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we take the cup and we bless it. We give thanks for it. And that is the cup that we participate in. And the interesting thing is, it's a sharing in the blood of Christ. Now, this word sharing is a word that I think is pretty famous, and I wish they would use it, because you may have heard of it. You've heard the word koinonia, fellowship. Well, that's what he's saying here. When you take the cup, the one that we bless, it is in fellowship with the blood of Christ. Fellowship means you participate, you have a part in, you have an intimate relationship with it. It, it brings you to the God that you're, bring, you're doing and you have this relationship with God in fellowship. The word fellowship means fellow, meaning doing things together, and it's the nature of doing things together. So when we come to the Lord Jesus and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, hey, I'm in this with Jesus. 
I'm fellowshipping with Jesus. I have this community, this participation, this sharing in the cup. I'm saying I'm a Christian. I am giving my allegiance to God, to Jesus as king, because he's raised again, and he's the king. And that's who I am standing by. I'm tacking my life and all that happens to me with him, joining with him, working with him, living with him, because I am taking that cup that is the blood of Christ. Why the blood of Christ? Well, because we don't have, we have this grape juice, and uh, hopefully it hasn't been in the refrigerator too long. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's happened before. But the point of the, uh, it doesn't taste all that good, but it's not meant to, to, it's supposed to remind us of a very sad, I guess, and very painful experience. When Jesus hung on the cross, he shed his blood. He did it for you and for me. The spear in his side, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hand and his feet. He shed that blood for us. And when we take that cup, Yes, it's a symbol. I don't believe that it turns into the blood of Christ. Some churches do. But I think it's symbolic that we recognize the significance and the life-changing powers that it has. Because in coming to Christ, we plead the blood. I'm a poor sinner saved by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And I plead that blood because Jesus gave himself on the cross I can come to be part of God's family. I can come to take Jesus as my Lord, as my King. And when I hold that cup up and I bless it, that's what I'm saying. Paul says we're, we're fellowship. We're having sharing and participation in the body of Christ. And then he says the bread that we break, is it not a fellowship in the body of Christ? Again, that same word, fellowship. It doesn't mean that we just show up to do the Lord's Supper and some angel in heaven marks us down as been there, done that, got my kudos with God. This is a, a fellowship in that his body was broken on the cross for my sins. That he gave his life for me on the cross. I guess you can shed enough blood and you still may not die, but if your body is broken, that's it. It's over with. Jesus died on the cross for us. And we participate in the fact that he is a dying Christ who died on the cross and then God raised him again on the third day. And that's the participation that we have. He says, is this, is, is this not a sharing in the body of Christ? Then listen to what he says. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Since all of us share the one bread, what distinguishes us, what should make us notable, what should be our, you know, the, our calling card, how people recognize us is that we're part of the church. We're part of the body of Christ here at Providence Baptist Church. And we're trying to serve the Lord Jesus and to be part of his family, part of the family of God. And when we partake of the bread... The only bread, it means we're partaking of the body of Christ. The body of Christ are, is, is not only his physical body on the cross, but also his church. We are the body of Christ. 
We are called to be his servants, his followers, and we are part of the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are, are, are many are one body, since we all share in the one body. So the key is the cup and the bread are clear symbols of our faith. Then in verse 18 and 20, he turns to the Israelites again and says, well, you would have thought those Israelites as the chosen people would have understood that and they wouldn't go messing around with other idols. But no, they didn't understand it and they didn't make the distinction. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Yeah. The Israelites went up and put their hands on the animal, imputing the guilt of the sinner to the, to the innocent. And then the, then the animal was sacrificed and they participated in the fellowship meal. That's exactly what it was called. With the priest and the people. And they were worshiping God that way. Verse 19, what am I saying? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, he's not saying that we should worry about idols or worry about food sacrificed to idols. But he says this in verse 20. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be, and get this word, fellowshippers it's the word part participant here in the csb but it's really the same word koinonia but it has to do with individuals who do koinonia so it's per, uh, koino, uh, fellowshippers is the way we would make it in english i don't want you to be fellowshippers with demons because see the demons want us to worship them the demons want to pull the wool over our eyes to seek a false god. Now, there is no other god. There's no other really idol out there. But the demons have made it into something where we wind up bowing down to them, to Satan. And Satan's not a god and the demons aren't gods, but it's a false faith. It's a false trust. It's a lie. Because those demons can't do what God does. Those demons do not satisfy our hearts like God. Those demons actually take us and use us and destroy us and bind us to sin. And we wind up losing our lives. Paul says this in verse 21, which is the next point. Um, Next one, there you go, the cup of the Lord or the cup of demons. And what he's actually saying here is, which one do you want to choose? Which one do you want to choose? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Now, this word here, you cannot, is going to be able to say, that you are not able to do that. There's that word dynamite again. You're not able. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability to do this. You can't serve two masters. You don't have the power to sit at both tables. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. 
It doesn't work. So you can't show up at the big festivals at the temple and enjoy all the theatrics and the idols and the sacrificing of, of that meat to those gods or those demons and then show up to church and observe the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has to be something different. The Lord's Supper has to be what we give our allegiance to. We cannot share in the Lord's table in the table of demons. If we do, he says in verse 22, that we are provoking the Lord to jealousy. And you think you're stronger than the Lord? The Old Testament in Deuteronomy, I think uh, chapter 13 um, and following, it talks about how the Israelites provoked him to jealousy. And as a result, he destroyed them. He judged them. What Paul says in verse 23 is that everything is permissible to us because God created it. He didn't, you know, he didn't create another God, but God is the Lord God of everything. But not everything is beneficial. So we don't go do things because it doesn't benefit us. God can't show his will through it. God can't guide us or help us to grow through it. He said everything is permissible. He repeats himself, but not everything builds up. And the reason why is that the cultural idea of the demons is to play on our self-centeredness. Oh, I'm going to give you all the gusto you can get. It's all about you. It's all about what you get. It's all about your fame and fortune and possessions. And those are out and outright lies. Paul says, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other people. We are to seek the good of the other person. In serving God, we find happiness and blessedness. In seeing Jesus, his model of giving himself on the cross. Do you remember we just had some studies in Philippians where we talked about Jesus didn't think that it was highfalutin for him to hold on to his godly position and he gave it up to come to earth and to die on the cross for us? When we see the model of Jesus as a servant, then we serve. We recognize that we are to serve him and in serving him we are blessed. And we find soul satisfaction. And we find the glory that God wants to help us have and to see as God raised his son, Jesus Christ, so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Do you see? So when we observe the Lord's Supper, because Paul then actually goes on into and said, what I received from the Lord... On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Drink ye, uh, do this in remembrance for me. And he took the cup, and he did the same thing. And here's the point. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we pledge our allegiance to God, to Jesus. We, we're not drinking the cup, demon brew of any other thing. We want to go through our lives and make sure that what we do serves Jesus. Not ourselves, not some other demon, not some other self-centeredness that we learn to serve Jesus with all of our hearts.
because he died on the cross for our sins. We're going to ask um, if you did get one of these or you did not get one of these, that you'll raise your hand and we have some individuals who can make sure that you got one. Um, this is still a little bit of COVID going on here in the fact that we got a whole lot of these things. <laughs> but, and I'm not trying to make a silly out of it, but just be careful opening it up. We'll just take the, uh, the drink out of it and the bottom cup has a little piece of bread and we'll use that first as we do the Lord's Supper. This is what Paul said. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray for the bread. Father, we thank you that Jesus agonized on the cross for our sake. It's so painful to say that, but he did that. He came obediently and willingly and he gave us his body on the cross, the pain he suffered for us. He knew that he had to give his life to pay the ransom for our sins. And he was obedient and willing to do it. Help us to remember that when we take the cup, we're taking the cup of Jesus, the bread, we're taking the bread of Jesus Christ. And we're, drink, we're eating this bread to be part of the body of Christ. And by the death of Christ on the cross, we have the opportunity to become part of the body, part of the family of God. Help us to take it in a logical way, in a sensible way, in a deep spiritual way, understanding the significance of what it means so that we can grow closer to you, Father, through the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus took the bread, and after he blessed it, we learned that he ate it. Eat you all of it. Paul said in, in like manner, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus blessed the cup. Let's bless the cup. Father, Jesus shed his blood for us. And we plead the shed blood of Jesus as he gave himself on the cross to die for our sins. It is the shed blood of Jesus that ransomed us for the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus' blood as the altar, as a sacrifice, paid that penalty and cleansed us from our sins. As we partake of this cup, give us the power and the ability to stand for Jesus, to seek to know and make decisions that honor him, that don't follow what the world says is important, but that we turn to be part of the family of God and we take the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ, pledging our hearts to him as our Lord, Savior, and King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Drink ye all of it. 